edition of A Letter From Home. This is God's word to you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I remember reading one of the accounts of you on this earth after you had been raised from the dead, and you appeared to two men that were walking on the road, and as they were talking about events that had happened, you were talking with them as well. And during that conversation, you began to show them who you are from every part of the scripture. And Lord Jesus, I remember that these men said after you left that their hearts were burning inside them. Jesus, I ask you today, would you please show us yourself? Give us a glimpse of your glory. Do whatever it takes to cause our hearts to burn for you. Give us the desire for you. Make us know that we have met with you and that you know us and that you love us and that we need to follow you. Jesus, please make our hearts burn. For your glory's sake, I pray. Amen. Today we're looking at one of those encounters in the Gospel of Mark that is absolutely amazing as well as electrifying. The disciples are never the same after what I read for you in Mark chapter 9. They are never the same. This is a true mountaintop experience. It's a true mountaintop experience. It radically changed them. Don't forget that Jesus has been pressing us with these two questions. The first question is this, who do people say that I am? It's a question that we must always be asking. It's a question that we always must be investigating. As we're getting to know people at work and in our neighborhoods, as we are living ordinary lives, doing ordinary things, we ought to be constantly investigating who do people think 
that Christ is. The second question that Christ pushes upon us is not only that we need to always be thinking about who do people say that Christ is, but who do we say? Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? Really? Not just intellectually, not just in your mind, not just writing it down on a piece of paper, but functionally. Who is Christ for you? You see, this question has actually been the bigger question that Mark has been trying to answer all of this far in the book. And Peter responds at the end of chapter 8. Do you remember this? He responds to this question. And he says to Jesus, you are the Christ. And of course, that's true. And Jesus doesn't deny it. It's absolutely correct. But then Jesus goes on to say, and you know what, Peter, in effect, you don't really know the half of it. Yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am the Christ. But being the Christ means that I must go and suffer and be rejected and die. Peter, you don't know the half of it. And even though Jesus says that he is going to suffer and die as the Messiah, and even though Jesus tells Peter and the apostles and the disciples who are with him, look, you must die as well. You must die to yourself in order to find true life. Even though the thought of death and wrestling with what exactly does that mean, Even in the midst of Jesus telling them this truth about what it means to be the Messiah and what it means for them, they still didn't quite understand it. And Jesus, being the amazing person that he is, didn't want them to leave thinking about death and what all that meant. He actually knows that the rest of their lives they'll try to figure that out, just like us as disciples of Christ, figuring out what it means But Jesus wants them to know that something is going to happen, and he wants them to be encouraged. That's why we have verse 1 of chapter 9, that some of you standing here will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God coming with power. Yes, I've just spoken to you about who is Jesus, who do people say that I am, who do you say that I am. Yes, I've just explained to you what it means that I am the Messiah and what it means that I must suffer and die and be rejected. And yes, I've just said what that means to you in your life is that you must die as well. But I don't want you to stop there, Jesus is saying. He wants us to get a glimpse of power and a glimpse of of glory. And you'll notice that the text tells you in verse 2 that six days from them, from that point, Jesus took three men with him up to the top of a mountain, which is very significant because Mark is not given, the author of this is not, this gospel is not really given to a lot of detail. Compared to the other gospel accounts, Mark is more just ideas. And then he immediately goes to something else. There's only one other time in his gospel where he gives us a specific detail like this of time. Here he says six days. After six days, Jesus goes on top of the mountain. And three men go with him. And by extension, we are there as well. Jesus is on top of the mountain. And guess what happens? Jesus' appearance is changed. It is 
altered in front of them. Remember, when Jesus came to this world, when he came to earth, when he came in the flesh, when he is God in the flesh, he came as a real man. People looked at him and saw him as a real guy. One of our forefathers says that when Jesus came, he was God in the flesh, and when he came, he came incognito. He was God and he was man. But when you looked at him, what you saw was a man, a normal man. But here, on top of the mountain, with Peter and James and John, the veil was lifted. The veil was lifted and the disciples got a glimpse of his glory. And if you notice when you read the text, listen to this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Verse 3, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. You see, what this is telling us is that it's not that light came down like a spotlight on Jesus. It's that the veil was lifted and light came from Jesus. Light came from his being and his glory began to show. Glory began to emanate from his body. Glory began to radiate from him. They could see something, a glimpse of his glory and of his majesty and of his power. You can see why the author of this tries to say that it was a radiant light, intensely white, like no one on earth could bleach it. You get the humor of that? He was grasping for words to try to describe to you and try to describe to me how bright this was, how glorious this was. There ain't no launderer on the face of this earth that can make this as white as what we saw here. Glory was coming from your Savior, so white that no bleach could match it. You see, there was resplendent light coming from Christ. There was resplendent light coming from Jesus. And in the midst of getting a glimpse of Christ, and in the midst of getting a glimpse of his glory, two other people appeared. Did you notice that? There was Moses, and there was also Elijah. They are two of the most prominent figures in all of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, when you think about these two figures, Moses more than likely is representing for us the law. And Elijah is representing for us the prophets. And you see, as Jesus, as the veil is being lifted and you can see some of his glory, Jesus now represents what Moses and Elijah were pointing to. What Moses and Elijah were talking about, the way they lived their lives, what they said, is now being seen in its fulfillment in Jesus himself. You see, what was going on here is something remarkable. And not only do Moses and Elijah just appear, it's that they actually begin to talk with Christ. They're discussing him. If you go to Luke's account, Luke chapter 9, it'll tell you that Peter, excuse me, that Elijah 
and Moses were talking to Christ about his departure. In other words, they were talking to Christ about what he was going to do. Now put yourself for a moment. Think just for a moment about how encouraging this would be for Christ and how much of a rebuke this would have been to Peter and James and John. Do you remember? Jesus asked the questions, who do people say that I am? Then he says, who do you say that I am? And then he presses that further and says, this is what it means that I'm the Messiah, that I must suffer and die. And do you remember what his disciples did? Do you remember what Peter did? He pulled Jesus aside and he rebuked him. He said, Jesus, this should never happen to you. You should never have to suffer and die. The disciples didn't want to talk about Jesus' death. They didn't want to talk about the cross. They wanted there to be another way. In the midst of that, here you have Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus about his departure. The disciples didn't want to talk about it, but yet Moses and Elijah do. How encouraging that must have been for Christ to know that he was being encouraged in what he was doing. That he was there and that others knew what he was going to do. And they were completely supportive of it. You see, Moses and Elijah would remind Jesus, Jesus, don't you realize that what you're going to do is the wonder of heaven? Jesus, what you are going to do in going to the cross is the very thing that angels love to peer into. It's the very thing that angels love to gaze at and, and adore, that here is one who has come to take away the consequences of sin for his people. And Jesus, you are going to do that. Don't let anything distract you. Don't let anyone distract you. What you are going to do, Jesus, has made our lives. It has made sense of our lives, Christ. Your death and your resurrection and your perfect life is everything that I was talking about, Jesus, in the law. Jesus, your death and resurrection in your life is everything that I was talking about in the prophets. Everything. We owe our lives to you. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't be discouraged. Well, as you can imagine... The disciples are quite dumbfounded. Look at verse 6. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. You see, that tells you about the disciples' disposition. They were terrified, not mortified. They were just awestruck at what they had observed and what they had heard and what they were seeing. See, here's what, here's what Peter said, the verse before, verse 5. Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Peter says, this is amazing. This is good. Let's just stay right here. You see, Peter wants to skip all the suffering. Peter wants to skip the cross. He doesn't want suffering to be necessary. He doesn't want the cross to be necessary. Sound familiar? In our lives, we don't like to die, do we? 
We don't like to die to ourselves. We don't like to die to our plans. We don't like to die to our power. We don't like to die to our pride. We don't like to die to our glory. Peter wanted the glory. He just didn't want the cross. He wanted the fame. He wanted the direction. He wanted the hope. He wanted the future. He just didn't want to have to die. He didn't want to have to suffer. Much like us. If we could skip the suffering that we will face in our lives and the challenges that we face in our lives and just go to glory, most of us would say we'll do it. Peter was no different. You see, Peter was so excited about what was going on. Again, we see that Peter liked to speak before he thought. Have you ever been in those situations where it's an amazing situation and you're so excited by what has happened or so anticipatory of what might happen that you really just, I don't know, you don't know what to say, but you just feel like you need to say something. And it, and it just, it's not the right thing to say. It's not the appropriate time. A few years ago, coming back from campus and coming home, I was in the kitchen and Jenny and I were talking and both of us had had a, a rather long day and it was a harder day than what we had anticipated and both of us were just really tired. So we were thinking about what we're going to eat for dinner and Jenny hadn't made anything and everybody knows in my house you don't want me to cook. So we're thinking about what to do and we started thinking about well I guess we'll just go out and we'll get something. Well the kids were around and they were hearing all this and they were getting excited because they liked to go out to eat. And in the midst of talking about going out to eat, Dabney comes in and interjects, which is uncommon for her because she's the quieter one, and says, yes, Dad, let's go out to eat. I'm buying. <laughs> she was six. You know those moments where they're just kind of full of, you know, fun and, and glory and, and, and amazement, and you're planning and you feel like you should say something, but you don't know what to say, so you oftentimes just say something out. Yeah, that's Peter. Jesus, this is amazing. I can't believe it. We get a glimpse of your glory. Moses is here. Elijah's here. Well, let's just make three tents, and let's just live here and live happily ever after. Forget about that cross stuff. Forget about that death. Forget about suffering. Let's just stay here. Let's just call it, not a day, let's just call it eternity. It will just be here forever. That's what was going through Peter's mind. Well, then, as if that wasn't enough, then you get the cloud and the voice from the cloud. Jesus' veil is lifted, and people get a glimpse into his glory. Moses and Elijah appear. The disciples are dumbfounded. They are awestruck with what they see. And then... A voice speaks from the cloud. And make no mistake, this is the glory cloud. Those of you that know your Bibles a little bit more, this is the Shekinah glory. And by my calculations, God's people haven't seen the glory cloud in 600 years. And here it is. The Father is present. And the Father makes this declaration. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Isn't that awesome? You see, the question has been posed. 
Who is this? All the way back in chapter 4 and verse 41. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And now we get the definitive answer. The Father speaks. Almighty God says, this is my Son. Hear him. Quite a moment, isn't it? Quite a, quite a moment in the day in the life of Peter and James and John. We get the answer to the question, and that makes it final. Well, that's the story. How does this connect with us? How does this connect with you? How does it connect with us personally? Two things. The first is you have to see this passage is a moment of encouragement. This connects with you when you realize that this is a moment of encouragement for you today. You see, although death is coming for Christ, although the suffering is real, although the crucifixion will happen, death has a right to Jesus because he was going to be a substitute for your sins and for mine. Death has a right to him as a substitute, but hear this, death could not and would not hold him. And as you gather here this morning, guess what? Should the Lord Jesus wait a long time to come, every single one of us is going to die. Death has a right to us as well, because we are sinners. And because we're sinners, we ultimately are going to die. But because of Christ, that death is just a transition point. It's just transitioning to glory. Jesus, yes, you're going to die, but don't forget the glory that is yours. Believer, yes, you're going to die, but don't forget the glory that is yours because of what Christ has done for you. Be encouraged that the glory that is Christ's is going to be your glory. And don't forget that your life is about going to the cross and dying and seeing Christ as your death and dying to your pride and dying to your gifts and dying to your goals and dying to your dreams and receiving all of that and more from him. But it encourages us in something else too, doesn't it? It's not just that death had a right to Christ as your substitute. It's that this was reinforcing Jesus in his work. Jesus had much to do. He had much to teach. And what we find here on the mountaintop is that God is reinforcing Jesus in all that he was going to do. His work, his obedience to the Father, his life, everything. And what that means for you is that this moment here encourages you in your work as well. It means that the love of the Father is upon you. It means that God loves you. It means that there is meaning to everything that you're doing. It means that your life is not in vain. 
It means that your jobs are not in vain. It means you loving your neighbors and loving your children and loving your families and loving your enemies is not in vain. This here is to encourage you in all of your work, in all of your obedience, in the entirety of your life. Go, obey, serve God, love God, love people. Not to try to get God's love, but because you have received it. If you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you realized yet? Have you figured it out? I'm really slow to figure this out. That most of our lives are really directed toward going to the cross. Yes, it's true. There will be mountaintop experiences in our lives, probably. But I don't mean to break the bad news to you. But they're going to be probably few and far between. Our life is going to the cross daily, hourly. Our life is about going to the cross. The second thing that this means for us personally is not only encouragement, but the challenge is for all of you here, for all of us, to listen to the voice of the Father. You see, the call of the gospel is to listen to the Father's voice. All of your hope, all of your power, all of your glory is found in receiving and listening and resting in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no glory apart from Christ. You have no power apart from Christ. You have no hope apart from Christ. And you have no glory apart from Christ. So you must hear and listen and receive your Father's voice. It's for you. It's for you to encourage you. And it's for you to live. Entrust yourself to Christ afresh. And when you do that, you realize this is how the Father sees you. That he calls you his beloved. You see, that brings us right to the table because God's voice speaks here as well as a matter of fact on the night in which Jesus was betrayed he was gathered with his disciples and as he was gathered with them he took the bread and he broke it and he said this represents my body which is broken for you Take this and eat and feed on me and know that my body, my life was lived for you perfectly. I fulfilled all of God's requirements. I did everything for you. I've obeyed where you've disobeyed. The good things that you've done from all of your selfish, self-serving motives, those are wrong too. And I lived a perfect life with perfect motives in my heart and in my mind and in my life publicly and privately. Jesus has done it all. And not only did he take the bread, but he also took the cup. And he said, this cup represents my blood, which is shed for you. I didn't just live the perfect life for you publicly and privately but I gave of my life 
for you. I laid it down. The Father gave me the right, and I have the power. No one could take my life from me. Not the guards, not Satan himself. I laid it down for you. So that not only would you have someone who perfectly obeyed, but that you would have someone who endured everything that your sin deserves. I've done it all. Now that's good news, isn't it? That's good news. So this morning, if you're here, the real question is, who is Jesus for you? If you find in him your glory, your power, your forgiveness, your life, your death, your glory, then this is for you. As of yet, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and haven't received him, you haven't entrusted yourself to him, then just know that this table is not for you. But the Christ of this table is. You need to take him. You need to believe in him. Just like the water came out of the tap that I put on Armando, this came from the kitchen. This came from the store. There's nothing magical about these elements. There's nothing that's going to change when we go to take them. This is the tangible way that God preaches the gospel to us to all of our senses. We don't just need to hear it. We need to taste and we need to see that God is good. And we need to know that God blesses those who take refuge in him. We need to be reminded that we are a blessed people because oftentimes we want those mountaintop experiences to come seven days a week, don't we? We too, like Peter, don't want to think about the cross that much. We don't want to think about us going to the cross daily. We actually oftentimes just want to use God to make our dreams come true. And the glory is that he tells us that and says that's not the way it is. You get my glory and my plan and my power and my life, and it's going to be far better than what you think you can do in your own strength and planning and power. So again, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and have made your faith public, please come to the table. And if you haven't, then please wait. And please wait until you have received Christ and know him and know his love. And you children to take today, this should be a wonderful occasion for you that you get to feed on Christ, that you get to be reminded how much God loves you. This is his pledge of love to you. And you children that aren't taking yet, just like you saw those up here earlier, you too think about who is Jesus to you. You're not too young. You're not too young to think about that. I'm going to ask the elders if they'll come forward and we'll pray together and then we'll take. Let's pray.
O Lord our God, we are here because we need to be reminded that prayer and praise are our native tongue. We need to be reminded that you are our God and that Jesus is our Savior. We need to be reminded that we are not defined by any personality tests that we might take. Our baptism pictures who we are. And we need to be reminded that the bread and the cup are our most basic food. Oh Lord, help us to take these elements and feed upon Christ. Holy Spirit, enliven our hearts and our minds and our emotions that we might be nourished by the truth that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior and that we belong to him forever. God, please bless us. Make us to know your love afresh. For your glory's sake, I pray. Amen. If you would, please hold and we'll take together at the end.